Oh, Fanny, I gotta tell you, I don't really want to talk about anything today except for this new game I'm playing, Into the Breach, that everyone's talking about. It's really, really good. I'm very obsessed with it. Oh, is it uh, a war one? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a war one. You you essentially have this, like, this grid square thing, and I'm hoping to talk to the developers about this soon because it's brilliant. And you just have these very cartoony-looking... Uh, mechs and there's a story behind it and you're just needing to fight off waves and waves of these different creatures in this kind of turn-based system but it, there's such oh, I know it doesn't yes. seem that everyone, interesting yeah. but it, there's Everyone's such complexity talking about mechs, and I don't understand what they what they mean yeah 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 though that that sounds like you exactly but uh, no let's see if I can uh, of course and I'm also it's a little unfair because What's his face is a part of it as well. Chris Avalon, he was the writer for it. Oh, and I just—it's oh. gotten to the point where it's almost like silly of how anytime that guy makes a game, that it's my favorite game ever. Like it's—I'm—I'm I'm getting a little upset about it. It's called Into the Breach. Check it out. It's like fifteen. Ask him bucks. to give him uh, to give you his uh, schedule, upcoming <laughs> schedule, just so you can kind of plan my life around. Yeah, just be like, yeah, I need—I need to take some time off because yeah. of all those jobs that I have because I need to uh, to play the games. They're coming up. And Into the Breach, $15. It has given me a real education in innovative game design. Oh, shit. What did <laughs> I that, do there? What? We stumbled upon a topic. We might have, yeah. So oh. uh, Dialogue Wheel, normally when we get together, it's me, Zach, uh, Callie, sometimes Corky, and we talk about a very distinct issue in the video game universe, try to pick different sides and battle it out to maybe find some truth or at least get more entrenched in our own positions. This week, <laughs> it's we're going classic, man. It's just me and Fanny. DW Classic. DW Classic. So we're going to be talking about uh, something that's very specific in the wheelhouse. Not so much arguing about this one issue, this resolution, and having positions. But hopefully this week, we're actually going to try to figure something out. We're going to try to create something instead of just tearing everything down. Yeah, it's, right? a, it's an open question. Like yeah. I could say I didn't prepare, but <laughs> it's really just complex. And I want to work <laughs> through it to get somewhere. That's, so, that's the polite way. So Fanny has been to school for a long time. He went to school so long that he decided you know what I want to be in school for the rest of my life and you can either do that if you're independently wealthy like a James Franco without the rape or you become a teacher Mr. Fanny yeah. when you say it like that it it really depresses me <laughs> <laughs> well isn't that kind of like I think we had conversations like that in our youth of you being like man if I could just go like, to school yeah, forever in, well it's interesting because do you remember we went to the same high school so this yeah. is interesting mm -hmm. But there was a politics teacher there who said, like, oh, yeah, I went to this school and then I came back to teach at it. And I was always, like, so sad when she brought that up. Because I was like, you've been in this one space yeah. for your entire life. So when you say this, I'm like, oh, no. This well, means... you are doing that. So uh, let's talk about your creds just a little bit because it does tie into what we're talking about today. The question about video games and uh, education, their kind of their role in the classroom. So we're going to be dealing yeah. with kind of the dangers of what happens when you have video games in the classrooms. But most importantly, how we can effectively take this medium that we love so much in our personal time and we think it really tells stories very well and integrate it into education. It's going to be a lot of me asking Zach questions of just, uh, you know, maybe we could kind of figure this out. So, uh, yeah, Fanny, what's what's your creds? Oh, um, well, it's interesting. I started teaching at a, a private high school right, right out of school myself. 
And uh, because it was a private school, you know, they have resources, which is going to be an important thing to keep in mind. And they, as a result, they had a lot of uh, game initiatives and, you know, game infused curriculum. And it's really like, it is really invigorating and fascinating. They had this program where they'd figure out how to incorporate games and simulations into um, different subjects. And of course, as like a young person starting to teach who likes games and whatnot, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And they probably threw it at you, be like, just let the young redhead boy do it. Yeah, yeah. Just keep this person busy so he doesn't ask me for for help. And for like Um, a living wage. Let's make sure he's playing games. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to to eat actual dinners. You can uh, play your PS4 in school. Ooh. Yeah. Um, And we uh, ended up, uh, you know, running with a, a group of interns and we made... Our own simulation, uh, it wasn't like a game, a video game, but it was a game. It was a, it was a manual simulation of uh, uh, for a history class about like creating your own culture and how the environment influences that and whatnot. And I don't think it ever got used, but it was I was really proud of it. Um, and then, you know, I started teaching at the post-secondary, post-secondary level uh, in the colleges. And, you know, like technology is like now... It's its own kind of category in teaching where it's like you have to kind of check that box on your resume when you're applying to, to things. Like I have uh, creative uses of technology in the classroom. Like that's one of the key criteria now across every level of education. And so it could be anything from like using Poll Everywhere or, or something like that. Uh, you know, students get to use their phones. Whoa. Um, uh, versus, you know, oh, uh, we can now incorporate, uh, you know, games that have to do the subjects or we can make behaving in classroom itself a game yeah um, so that's stuff that's yeah. an interesting kind of distinction here because from what we've looked at our research there's some really interesting things that are, are happening in this world uh if we before we dive into that let's you know look back at the games we used to get to play in class and kind of like how video games can really infuse a sense of, of learning, a, a need to learn. I remember, you know, early on, the idea that you could be on one of the, the one computer you had in the 1991, you know, grade four classroom that had the Oregon Trail and where in the world is Carmen San Diego? There was a lineup out the wall, out the room to get onto that goddamn thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was like, I remember it was always like the hyperactive kids. They would... <laughs> be given that game like to to calm down yeah, like, just don't dive would... dysentery just see how long you can get boy let's let's give it a try yeah, yeah. just sit here because that's the only way they would be able to to sit still is if they yeah had a video game in front of them yeah and it is but like do you remember what you learned from carmen san diego well i remembered that carmen is a fox that's why <laughs> i remember that she was missing <laughs> i got i remember that she was missing both in the world and from my heart because i want to figure out what that girl's deal is what, what does she need yeah, yeah. what she, it actually it fostered in me at a very young age a uh insensitivity towards women and seeing them as objects so that was really an oregon trail you know taught me to hate people and prepare me for this capitalist hellscape of where people are commodities so all right well in that case you're well you're well on the <laughs> no it yeah. didn't yeah to answer actually correctly because this is for people to listen to it it was very much just kind of like a an interesting cool thing that i think a yeah. lot of kids because i didn't go to the wealthiest schools early on they had an opportunity to actually use a computer and if in the early 90s to mid 90s mm. families 
unless yeah. you you had one family computer, maybe, but a lot of times you didn't. So people really appreciated those chances. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's mostly how games at that time were used, at least in, in my childhood. And then going on when we went to um, high school and, and some of the post-secondary there, the idea of using games in the classroom in the 2000s to early 2010s really wasn't something that I experienced. There seems to be a much bigger push because uh, you're teaching mostly older children, but in the younger pre-adult um, education things, K through five or K through six, there definitely is a focus on trying to use different video games to entice people to learn, but also a huge focus on that gamification that you touched on in the high school class that you really liked. Yeah, and it's... It is, uh, we'll talk about that and unpack it later too, but it is uh, more of a problem when you get to uh, lower income areas and underfunded schools Mm -hmm. where you have kids that are dealing with a lot of other contexts and problems in their lives. And thus, you know, it's not surprising they're not going to function as well as they would otherwise in this kind of like rigorous environment where they have to really adhere to certain codes of behavior. And so we we basically have done the equivalent of giving a child an iPad to calm them down where you have, Mm -hmm. okay, we have a classroom set uh, I have this now with a with a um, a group, um, an underprivileged group I'm dealing with, and they have like a classroom set of laptops, and it's like okay, okay, we're gonna do an activity with the laptops. Everyone get your laptop and, uh, and and do something, and it's just like a way to solve, like put a salve over the mm-hmm. the tensions and structural problems that exist in the classroom without actually solving them. And you know that what is a class dojo or whatever, where it's like you can get points for you know, um, raising your hand and whatever, right? Uh, To just try to basically shore up support against the terrible conditions that people are forced to live and learn in. And so that's really like the worst. I don't want to, you know, transition to that quite yet, but it is kind of the worst way to use games is to try to just ignore. Let's dive into that now because the gamification thing, we'll start with the negative because for once here on Dialogue Wheel, I want to try to bring some positivity the negativity of the class dojo, which if you look online has hundreds of thousands of adherents throughout North America. And it's basically uh, a tool system that like you, you touched on there, encourages students to be active listeners, participate in discussions and engage in the learning process. The students then earn points for positive behavior and then lose yeah. points for negative behaviors. And this type of gamification did happen in many different respects in school. Like, it's the same thing if you get kind of demerits or gold stars. You know, I've, I've definitely gotten in trouble so many times in grade seven through eight that I was sent to... It's the idea of detention almost, but we're bringing it into the 21st century. That's what I think... Um, a very banal interpretation of this is. But when it is so associated with games, I think you could lose some of the perspective that I think students have. Because I don't know about you, as a student, when that was happening, I knew that this was kind of bullshit. I knew that this is, you know, that this this is not a game, so to speak, you know? <laughs> like, I was in trouble. I did something wrong. Exactly. And it the problem with that, it's like Michael Sandel talks about that. I think he's the Harvard guy. Uh, he talks about justice and he says, like, applied justice. And he's like, imagine... If you want to get kids to read and you said, okay, I'll give you $5 every time you finish a book. Is that something we want to to do? And it's the same thing here. Do we want to have, you know, behavior and certain skills be tied to getting abstract points? Um, and I think the real danger with that is, is that, yeah, maybe you can motivate people to basically behave a certain way, but you're, you're transferring what 
what they're valuing onto a point system and not the actual skill itself. So they're not, you're actually precluding the possibility of them seeing why they should learn this skill and wanting to learn the skill for what they can get from it, you know, by giving them points outside of that skill that they can get um, by exhibiting it. Like it's, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's well, it doesn't just, infuse like, uh, uh, here's an important question. I thought we'd get to a little bit later, but why would you want to be a teacher? Cause I think, you know, we're going to deal personally with you, but I, most teachers want to do it for some very specific reasons. So, Fanny, if you would indulge me, you know, why did you want to teach these good for nothing kids <laughs> good for nothing information? <laughs> <laughs> That's the battle I hit every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Why do I have to know this? Yeah. Um, well, because it, it's it's one of those jobs like, you know, being a social worker or whatnot. Um, that's innately social and uh, collaborative and you can see every day the value that you're putting into the world like you are really um, uh, in locus parentis like you're the you're the parent there uh, mm -hmm. you know and it's you and the parent who are really influencing the way children are growing up and those moments you know in a classroom or with a student working with them on one-on-one -on -one, when you see them grasp an idea or just start to see the world in a different way mm -hmm. and start to express that and, and put themselves in the world in a different way based on your guidance is it's one of the most enriching things you can do outside of just being a parent mm -hmm. yourself. Um, and I really do think that education and public education particularly is it's at the absolute root of a society that's worth living in, like at the absolute root of a just society. Um, and so like if I can be a part of that and push it, help push society in the in the just direction mm -hmm. we know with that work in it however small a way i want to i want to do that for sure you didn't say the exact words that i wanted so i'm going to put them in your mouth right now because <laughs> that was also very beautiful so i don't want to take away from that and cut that out in post but it's also the idea of maybe infusing a sense of curiosity and a love of learning <laughs> i'll say that right now and you can just cut that into let's that just yeah let's just, well yeah. no i this is important infusing I need to, curiosity yeah. oh that's it that's so interesting you would say that zach yeah. because that really does undermine this these sort of gamification systems like you said when you put a dollar value to a completion of a task that is not why you're not in a trade school trying to teach a particular trade so that they can you know be an addition right. to the society you're trying to get them excited about these ideas so they can find something that kind of appeals to them especially in those early years when this class you system how to be is used human beings mm -hmm. like it and <laughs> to, to basically distill every aspect of being part of the species into acquiring points it's so fucking poisonous mm -hmm. because now like that's that's the, the, that's the most popular mode of living right now. Like every system that we're in is about making numbers go up, you know, yeah, money. The technocratic and systems, every, it's all run by this idea that truth is something that is, is tangible that you can hold and it's computerized, you know? You just have to get slightly, you know, towards the top of like the numbers pyramid. Mm -hmm. And if you're putting this in a classroom with young kids and, uh, you know, shaping their minds that way while their minds are developing, like you're just going to create an education system that's so myopic that the people that are coming out of it aren't going to have the skills or the imagination to really affect the world in any tangible way. And like, that's why you get things like, you know, a fake news epidemic and you have, and they won't uh, question you know, Trump their systems in a lot of ways either. They won't question the idea that, you know, we live in a system where we're an internal 
gerbil wheel where we're just fed these yeah. different numbers and everything has a value and it's all about just making these intangible values go up. It's not about making sure yeah. that your work is respected and there's a love for your work and that it's valued the particular and way. The classroom is the great uh, counterweight almost, yeah. to yeah the great counterweight to this to this capitalist system that entrenches people in in this way of thinking like the classroom should be a space where you get to forget you know the uh, exigencies of your life and all, all the things bullshit you have to worry about right you can go in there and engage in ideas that you love uh, engage with people that you you know are growing up with and care about um, and it should be that kind of oasis not just basically a, a, a microcosm of the system that you're going to be thrown into in, in adulthood and I like, think it's just even like people that are not as avowed leftists as us would agree that those early years especially and it, I think the early years and then into upper education shouldn't necessarily be all about trying to conform a child for this capitalist system that it's okay at least but i like we would say that with everything in life but even if you're someone that's in a tax bracket that would make us vomit i even you have to agree that at that age it's not important that your eight-year-old is getting night sweats and terrors because the off-brand uh japanese character from class dojo has says that you are the lowest on the totem pole that you yeah, have right, been quantified right. <laughs> because maybe because maybe you do have a learning disability. Maybe it's a behavioral problem. Maybe you speak out in class because you are uh, Albert Einstein or Van Gogh or something like that. And you're being told that you're the lowest in a language that, you know, a game language that would fucking ruin me at that age. And that ruins like the, me now. <laughs> yeah. And that guy, uh, um, Ken Robinson, talks about that of like. You know, creating basically uh, the factory model of society becomes a factory model of education and you're just churning people through that kind of system. And and it's a very particular way of learning. Like people don't really get that because they think, oh, schools are just so universal. Like this is just this is what learning is. It's like, no, no, no. being in a class and having an instructor like that's that's a very particular way of learning. And like some kids. Um, you know, who want to be active, you know, and, and to engage with things in a more tactile way or, you know, in, in any number of different ways. We like to, you know, di diagnose them um, uh, a lot of the time, but like it could just be that this isn't, this environment isn't a fit for this person. And if you're going to gamify elements of behavior in the classroom, then you're narrowing that space even more when we should be using games to kind of open it up a bit. And we should be I mean. noted too that this type of uh, catch-all system of using these video games as a perceived way to make it easier for teachers. We've looked at the role of the students, the role of the teachers now, a little bit, I'll let you speak more on this, but it does seem like it would de-incentivize teachers from being valued for their work. I really I really do think that this would be a way to infuse the admin bureaucracy and tell someone like you that, you know, we have this new system you need to use and therefore you don't have to be paid as much because you're using this system to give a catch-all and maybe you will be um, persecuted more as a, as a uh, teaching professional because you're not able to use the system to work for as much kids or for as many kids as it's supposed to. Or just even more disposable, and that's with every workplace, right? That's the problem: is that labor is viewed as, as viewed as something disposable, and the less skilled your labor is, the more disposable you are. And so, if you, for example, I'm using Assassin's Creed Origins, the Discovery Tour mode, right now, um, and let's say you know a, a program took that and say, okay, instead of you teaching the Egypt unit, we're going to get students to just 
you know, do these worksheets or whatever while they play this, uh, the game in, in discovery tour mode, right? Um, that's not happening, but that has happened with other games in, in classrooms across, you know, uh, across schools. See how um, it could happen. A2. Like if you just, yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, I, and, and go ahead. It's just, yeah, sorry. It's just like easy. Like it's just a way to say, okay, they've checked, uh, you know, the learning outcomes uh, that we want them to have. And so once, and that's the, basically the, the rough guideline we're given of like, we need to make sure they have these outcomes, right? And they're vague enough that you can kind of just, you know, say, oh yeah, no, we, we, we asked them a question about that in week four. So yeah, okay, that's, that's done. And so, yeah, then, you know, teachers, teaching becomes more precarious and you're like, okay, I'm not so much um, a, uh, like a, teacher as a craftsperson trying to you know do this craft for people you're just basically a babysitter a bureaucrat who's just making sure people are going through the assembly line and you see that with online um courses right now i've taught online courses you know slash teach them oh and i've taken uh, them too and it's it's laughable in many ways right it, and know? it's honestly it's a big problem to do an online course well it can be done but it takes more work uh from people not less and you'll get you know like um, like every teacher, like you'll have this template that you're given on an online class and you can just basically, if you want to just follow the template and not really have to like teach actively. You're keeping an eye on students as they go through course content. And it's like, like that's all like that. You're literally, you're just a steward. Like yeah. you're not really teaching. And that, that's a huge problem too, because I think that will tie into, and we talked about it a little earlier, we're getting into good things about video games because there are some great ones with uh, education, but I do want to push on this point because I think it is important that the administrative systems that would implement a more universal video game oriented uh, curriculum would do so in a way that would be absolutely horrible. If at least here in, in Canada and in Ontario, if we understand how they implement curriculum, it would come federally and then it would just be a requirement that if you're a post-secondary uh, institution or if you're a different school and you want to get access to this additional funding, this needs to be in X many classrooms and this needs to be used at this sort of level. And it, it's the way that governments operate when it comes to education that makes the gamification of classrooms so dangerous as an individual. And I think we don't want to uh, lose this just yet. There is a magic sweet spot for video games in education, but the way that it's implemented right now with the whole uh, dojo idea with almost the, um, excuse me, using uh, Minecraft EDU through educators, which can be used very, very well. We create something that works and they can explore it. But there's also uh, many instances where kids are literally just thrown in front of Minecraft for an hour a day because game games are like mechanical systems. Yeah. Right? So it's it's very easy to transplant that onto an actual bureaucratic system of a, of, a, of a school board. And like to get yeah, to get more specific, we had this problem, too, when I did the game program at uh the high school we were, we were pretty rigorous because we we're like aware of these problems and like we we involve the students in critically thinking about the game like how like how did the game uh, let you interact with the ideas and the content like when what ways do you think it worked and what ways do you, th do you think it didn't and we found that like with a lot of games they're just basically lecturing to you and adding like you know get through this maze like adding like some kind of puzzle element in between just you know 
throwing information out at you. Um, and so it's really a problem because it's so easy to use that as the end itself, as the games as ends themselves of like, you, you know, just play this and you will have learned about what Egypt is like and then move on when really like games to use games. You have to have more teacher involvement and work. And in order to do that, you have to value that labor and actually enfranchise your teachers and, you know, actually pay them living wages end precarious work and fund schools. So it's a big it's a big answer. To this problem so we talked about the games the dangers of the gamification of uh the education and we're dealing mostly with what's happening here in canada in the united states it's even more uh tenuous and even more dangerous to try to have these catch-alls but there is you touched on it there something a little bit magic here so what is a way that you've seen as an educator a video game that is a game being used kind of effectively as supplemental material in a classroom, either you individually or maybe something uh, that you've seen? So uh, when I was working at the, uh, the U of T uh, high school, um, that was when Elegy for a Dead World came out. Mm-hmm. An incredible indie and we game actually, you can catch on Steam, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we interviewed them and it was it was lovely. And he... Uh, I forget his name now, but um, uh, the uh, th- that team basically offered like discounts for schools where they were basically making no money. They just said, "Please use our game in in your school." And the the, the idea is that you're it's a writing game, uh, so it's very simple. But be- you know, there's just beautiful artwork. It's kind of like an impressionistic uh, version of three different sci-fi planets, and they have civilizations on them that are have died out. And you're this lone traveler, and each of the planets are modeled on a different romantic poet. So I think that there was Byron Shelley and I don't know if it was Wordsworth or it was some some other romantic poet. Mm-hmm. And you go Keats, there and I you're think. basically, yeah. yeah, you're just given different prompts uh, to write. And you can choose different structures. It can be completely free form. You can have it where you're uh, writing like a particular way, like you write a sonnet um, or an ode. Um, or you could have actually like excerpts of 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 the poems of the romantic poets and like respond to their themes in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't get to implement it directly in the classroom, but I, but in using, it, I could see like, this could really work. Like at the end, you can literally have an option where you print your own book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that would be really amazing because now that game is acting as a guide, like showing students, like here's how you can use language. Mm-hmm. Like here's how you can express something real like it, it's so hard to get in an to write. almost a narrative way too you know it, it right that's what i like well, well, that was the value of it mm-hmm. yeah like it's that it's so hard to just sit down and say okay here's how you write a sonnet now write one mm-hmm. and they have to kind of think like you know you got to think okay what emotionally affected me in some way it's much easier to to dip your toe in that that wa- that uh you know the that ocean speak, yeah. by saying here like the game's giving you this very aesthetic emotional experience and now you're trying to think how can i express that in language mm-hmm. and then you apply that question to your own life how can i express this feeling i actually had out in my real life in language so it's a beautiful mm-hmm. stepping stone uh to like a higher artistic uh, mode. And it and just so really seems to solve the problem that we had with the gamification issues because that seemed to give a value to an intangible action to keep you in line, whereas yeah, Elegy for a Dead yeah. World, yeah, Elegy for a Dead World mo- gave the same type of gamification tools, but is within a narrative that tried to move you through narrative action to learn about something that can be very difficult. This is poetry in a lot of ways. That could be one of the biggest, and you you teach poetry, so you don't know. But let me tell you, for someone that doesn't see this shit every day, it is a huge wall to climb to feel like you could do it yourself. 
And I'm, I gotta say, I wrote some pretty good stuff in LG. You know, I, I might get a book coming. Yeah. So. <laughs> I gotta say, like I, it, it engaged with me as someone who's not that's even interested in learning in a way that I didn't think uh, poetry has yeah. before. So I think it's one of the best. And that's the game. Like just the summary, like that. Be games can give you a new space to uh, use and polish skills. Uh, you know that you're you're developing in the classroom and ultimately that means games give you a space to learn how to be the person you want to be ultimately right uh and that game was a really good example really good example of how to use that because you couldn't just plop that in front of anyone and be like okay here's the instructions now write something like you really have to do some teaching um of stuff before you you bring that before you bring in that tool to to get them to work with those skills so it was, it was, that was really an ideal for me i think and that's back. and if you think about it from a developer's perspective uh, their names were zeba scott and uh ikaro lambry they're hilarious yeah names. scott is yeah, yeah the scott that's, guy yeah zeba. that's good yeah they could have done something that because they obviously have the the knowledge they could have made like a leapfrog ask educational tool and made billions out of it that that mm -hmm. fucking evil human being that uh, tried to run for the uh, conservative party leader here in canada made his billions through this destruction i was trying not to say his name for legal purposes but thank you for oh. <laughs> <laughs> bleep. bleep on that one yeah, can we, we can shit on him, can't we? Yeah, no, but I can't. Yeah, we can. Shit, I'm just scared. People are trying to sue me all the time. I'm getting scared. I can't talk about people anymore. But <laughs> yeah, no, he he made his billions. He's a terrible human being. Anything. Yeah, you know what? Come at me, Kevin Leary, because that was he's one of the worst humans I've ever heard speak. And I've had some pretty. I I watched some old uh, discovery footage of Hitler's uh, you know speeches. But he made his billions <laughs> through taking advantage of educational tools that remove the onus of education on teachers, didn't make their life easier, and, and just made almost a whole generation below us seeing games as tools that prepare them for the capitalist market. So that is so evil. And it's scholar's choice bullshit. It's yeah, like, because oh. if you make some, education is always like 10 years behind technologically mm -hmm. uh, where society is. And you make something that's like, oh, you can use this tool in some classroom. You know how many pitches I heard in my first two years of teaching from different little companies of saying, oh, here's how you can use it. Like we had some people come in to, to actually, I just remember this now, mm -hmm. to, uh, they use a kind of an internet game system to like teach students how to write essays. And I was looking at it, I was like, this isn't really like doing anything new with it. It's just basically taking the teaching out of our hands and saying, here's a step one, step two. And the whole point of essay writing is not to just check boxes of a structure but to learn the structure so you can play with it and like you know express yourself in, in, a, in a different way and because if you can get an educational contract then immediately you know okay i can sell this huge quantity of this bullshit product and make a ton of money that so a lot of people who are educators does. aren't aware of too it's a big problem when you sell like these sort of systems if you come in and you're fancy enough with your language you could yeah you could claim you're a snake oil salesman in a lot and of even ways. the aesthetic of like, um, or the idea of, of uh, like, oh, it's like the new and it's tech and it's, it's like this and that. And it's just, you know, you're dazzling teachers who are just basically like sleep deprived and trying to get, you know, kids to care about things. And it's very easy to kind of craft it that way. Yeah, absolutely. He's an example. And I think he's kind of shepherded a really terrible movement. And these guys that worked on Elegy, they could have done something like that. They had the technology, they had the tools. But like you mm -hmm. said, they created something that that is not as profitable and as appealing financially, because you can't yeah. just throw it in front of students. 
something else happened really recently, though, where a huge AAA studio, and you talked about it earlier, Ubisoft is trying to jump into this whole educational uh, field, so to speak. Um, yeah. So, Fanny, please, because I know you've actually been using this in the classroom a little bit. Yeah, the Assassin's Creed Origins um, uh, Discovery Tour mode is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's just like on its own is a great feat. Like immediately when I started playing it, I was really excited because it's like, oh, they've taken what I've always loved about these games, which wasn't the, the bullshit stories. It was the fact that <laughs> oh, they was realized... it the fact that they're assassins from the future? That's not what you loved yeah. about Assassin's <laughs> yeah. Creed. I I just played the games for the future parts. I skipped all the yeah. You're like yeah. Michael Fassbender in that movie. You, that's what the movie should have been about, right? <laughs> Fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. So Discovery Tours. <laughs> it's like learning. Yeah, and, and they you know the the power in those games that they realize a historical world in a way that like wasn't really possible. Uh, even with movies and whatnot, that mm-hmm. you can be in and live in. And so you walk around and you can do different tours and learn really big things about, like, you know, here's how they, you know, create the pyramids and why, while you're climbing up the pyramid. With no violence um, and no actual no. other gameplay. It's just, it's a no. tour in real yeah. sense, yeah. And it's very flexible. Like, you can, uh, like, you basically hit checkpoints and then they, you know, give you a different chapter in the theme that they're exploring. So I did one that was, like, um, the th- uh, temples and priests and how mm-hmm. that worked. And so you can like climb around, you can, you know, uh, like take pictures, like screenshots and whatnot, and like have a really cool, you know, basically le- mini lecture about how something specific worked and give you this kind of broad picture. Mm-hmm. And so I'm using it right now, teaching world civilizations. Obviously, I can't just tell people to go play it. Um, <laughs> that's the other thing. <laughs> What's too. your homework? Like, uh, a- you got to buy a Ubisoft product, a $90 yeah. Ubisoft game. <laughs> well, I told them, I was like, unless you want to use this as an excuse to like, Get your parents to buy you a console there then, you go you know yeah I, I so i use what i do is i play it and i've captured the screen or sorry the video recording of it and then i get them to um watch uh like one of the themes like so you know like uh pyramid construction is one of the tours so mm-hmm. like watch just that short tour um before class before we come in and work on stuff mm-hmm. um so it's really just kind of a way to give students some context and background knowledge, which is, I think, how that functions because it is very broad. Like, it's a very broad general mm-hmm. tour. Uh, tour. Um, and so it's good for to give people just that kind of background knowledge. And but the I developers, sorry to interrupt you there, but the developers yeah. also... Um, are implementing it in that way as something that's supposed to be, if it is dealt with schools, it's supplement to teacher-guided education yeah, is yeah. the exact language that Ubisoft is making. So they understood early on exactly. that this can't just be, you know, uh, a replacement lesson. And what exactly. I, for me, what I really liked about it, because I did the uh, the beer and bread tour, and they kind of take you behind cool. the scene a little bit and and say, like, hey, in terms of game construction, we made toothache animations because the tools the Egyptians used to make bread also caused them to have their teeth hurt. So little things like that prove that the people that make games, like maybe it's okay that your lives are ruined making games because you're making something <laughs> that's so phenomenal. But it adds, like, another level. And I don't know, when I was doing these discovery tours, I felt more individually uh, inspired to keep exploring in a way yeah. that I hadn't necessarily uh, beforehand when it wasn't. There's no, yeah, way. there's no point system, right? No, there's no points um, that you get. You gain yeah. nothing but what's being told to you. Exactly. And that's uh, like that example of the animation is really good too. And I think they should uh, make the context of, of making a game more apparent because the, the real danger, I think, with something like that, like if you use it in a classroom, is that people can play, you know, the tour and, and whatnot and be like, oh, okay, I don't really have to imagine anything. Like this is the, 
like basically I'm in a VR type mode world where now this is the world as it's simulated and I, you know, okay, this is how they did it. Okay. That's a fact. Now I can move on. I have another fact and you know, you can't really, yeah, like you can't teach history that way. Like history is about like skill building, about how to engage with the past, you know, as almost like as a foreign country. And so if you have those types of things where you're like, oh, here's how we, you know, how this is how it influenced us in making the game. You call this, you know, metacognitive awareness to the fact that it's a game. Like it's, it's something that we, a choice we made uh, because that's really what I'm fighting against is like, would, I use it as a supplement because I want to come in and be like, okay, like where, where were there some mistakes or, you know, what do we still not know? Like, cause it's very absolute. If you just play that, you can have a sense of like, oh yeah, this is the way things are. Like there's no mystery there. Right. And that, what you and just so touched you- on there is speaks so beautifully to, I think how your education will be implemented in your life after school after you're done we like we think of media and art as something that will give us an inspiration for finding out more i can't tell you how many movies how many video games of playing the old dynasty wars watching uh the darkest Mm. hour this year for instance that then pushes you to find out you know what actually did winston churchill say what was he actually really like what was who really took over from china after the three kingdoms period because that's the other hilarious thing if you play some of those games and uh, Origins is the same thing. They have an alternate history. So what happens yeah. to Cleopatra does not actually happen to Cleopatra in that game. Like, I played Dynasty Warriors three different times. So do I change the course of history? Because they won each of the, the different factions. I yeah, was yeah. <laughs> so I think you touched on something really special there because there is that risk. And that's why I'm really kind of wary of using video games to teach because it won't. We live in a time and a generation that saw it always as something to supplement, to inspire us to learn ourselves. And yeah. new kids growing yeah. up with this as the language that their teachers are using to imp- implement knowledge to them that might be a difficult task and it would be like i could really see the temptation of just saying oh man no one cares about this like i just need people to calm down and like you know i need to check the box of the content i need to make sure mm-hmm. that they learn some what bullshit about the pyramids <laughs> so you were gonna watch this for 15 minutes right and then you know here's a worksheet answer the questions and it's it's like that really isn't teaching right mm-hmm. like and so you have to incorporate games as a as a tool you're using in your craft not as again like the end point themselves like i am worried about like there's that you know i am a man vr game about mm. the martin luther king assassination and it's yeah so before you really before you really eat wor- that up we got to talk about that a little bit so it is a yeah, it is a professor I, I, that is making that is working on this to create it and it's yeah it's meant to depict the uh one of the civil rights moments in the history of martin luther king and the moments he was assassinated well yeah but it's also a lead-up it's i don't believe it's just the assassination (laughs) you get to know you yeah you get to see memphis and like the like the 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 society that you're in right Mm -hmm. in 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 late 60s um and the date the danger there you know the danger with any game but vr really exacerbates this danger is that now you know it, it removes any need for imagination so you can just say oh yeah i've i've played this i i was you know this this black person in 60s america so i know this experience i know the story now and so it kind of just removes the possibility for further questions and ambiguities and i really see that as like really like antithetical to, to education where education should be like you said uh um 
fostering curiosity and like teaching you how to address questions and things that aren't answered so simply. And I really worry about that with the VR well, experience. At, to his credit, the guy that made it is Derek Ham, assistant professor of graphic design at North Carolina State University. And he said himself the reason why it was so important that in this VR simulation you are a black person is because of the lack of representation in any VR experience. And like he's doing this kind of to fill in some of the gaps that people wouldn't have. So I'm not as against this as you are, but I can see a 23-year-old Toronto hipster woke person saying like, oh man, I can I, I really get what it must have been like in the 60s of the civil rights movement. I can really appreciate yeah, that I, now. Right? You know, because I don't think it would be used maliciously. I think it would be used no. without the needed sensitivity by white people. I think that right. if, if black people are using like, this to speak to this... It's digital blackface. It yeah. is. It is digital blackface and that is a, a heady thing to talk about and, you know, why don't we dive into it right now? Uh, a couple <laughs> years ago we were looking at uh, an art exhibit actually here in Toronto Zach and yeah. I that was all VR and it was probably one of the coolest things I had ever seen one of the most uh, technologically um, shocking moments of my mm -hmm. life where I felt the the tech was taking over and uh, there's a few things there's one where you were in uh, a yurt in Mongolia and it was VR so you could see all around you and, and you felt uh very uncomfortable almost because you were yeah. you're seeing this this family life and I think there was another one that's the one I did yeah yeah there's another one that followed the life and the the life cycle of polar bears and seeing them um, yeah kind of die and what uh, ecological disaster is doing to their ecosystem and we after this felt a feeling of just uncomfortability to these students saying like this is voyeurism this you know speaks to a truth especially with the mongolian one and to a culture that a, yeah, i haven't experienced another culture yeah, yeah i haven't experienced yeah. that and it's one thing to read about it or watch a documentary about it about people that made it but I don't want to be Jeremy Reiner in Mystic River or whatever that movie was. What was the movie when he was? Uh, oh, Wind River. Wind River. Excuse me. Mystic River yeah. <laughs> is the other one. But like, I, I, I just it made me feel awkward and uncomfortable in a way that only a white person could when he's uh, thrown into these sort of cultures that aren't his own. And you remember what the people said when we brought up? Yeah, and that voyeuristic is a good word. And we asked. I think well, you were talking and you asked them. I forget the exact question, but it was a question about. Like, have you guys thought about when you're making this stuff, have you thought about like the ethics of this, about how you're telling experiences and representing them and, and whatnot? And and we had to cut it because they literally froze and just like stared at you and looked at each other and like had no idea. They had no idea. Like, and they kind of muttered something like, well, ethics, like, well, like, you know, and then they gave some vague answer about, oh, no, we all work together, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's distinct people make this of different uh, ethnicities yeah. and that bullshit uh, warning away. that you we get. We walked away from that Sorry, and looked at each other and we're like, holy shit. <laughs> like, this is terrifying because yeah. like VR like goes right into your brain. Like, mm -hmm. like if, I, if, you know, if you could say I, I could do, be VR in ancient Rome or something, I'd be there for like two weeks and not eat. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so dangerous. And the people making this and proliferating this in our society aren't considering the ethical angle about that at all. That's what happens in this one. You like don't it, teach things properly. Instance. There's probably are instances where they are considering um, yeah. The, well, like you said, this this guy, the I'm a man guy, like, I don't want to, again, I'm not against him or what he's doing, because I think that's, you know, he's a, uh, like, a person of color professor in the U.S., and he's mm -hmm. 
like part of it. He's I think a master's degree from well. Harvard, a PhD from yeah. MIT. He's one of the the smartest human beings. That it's great. <laughs> so the, the problem isn't that it's uh, he's done this VR game. Like the, it's, the problem isn't the game itself. I think and it's never usually the games themselves. It's that you have to be really aware and really have that capacity for critical thought. Not him, but as a teacher or a student, yeah. that when you're using these things, they are kind of um, totalizing and absolute, and you have to interrogate the world you're being shown. So Some dumbass kid from like Scranton that needs to yeah. do this, and we'll use this as another way to add, you know, more uh, offensive lexicon to the the way that he makes fun of kids, or like we said, the 23 yeah. year old you're hipster. You're in VR and you like learn how to teabag like you know you know important people in in this historical moment and and he's very like the the interview is really good on the outline where uh, the magazine where he talks about this and he says this is why he blocked out the uh, the the moment that MLK gets shot um, because he just couldn't find a way where it, he could do it in something in a way that felt acceptable and so that's really interesting and it is like an open question of making games like we have to mitigate this risk but my worry is is, is again that if you put it put a game like this and you put it in a education structure um, where, you know, everyone is basically like teachers are undervalued, their work is precarious. So they're not given the time and enfranchisement to create curriculum very well. Um, you know, it's going to be used again, just as a quick band aid of like, okay, we have a civil rights unit. Okay. We're going to play VR this week. Okay. Answer some questions and move along. And students are going to incorporate these things into their, their very like being like growing up and learning these things without any kind of broader critical awareness. And so it's going to just basically like oversimplify what they're learning and, and make them think that they have knowledge of something very sensitive and important when they actually don't. And of course, you know, you're sending these people out to be citizens in a society that's going to be disastrous because, you know, like you said, someone can walk in and say, well, I actually know, you know, this thing gave me an experience of what it is like to be black in the 60s. And so I now have authority to speak on it when really the goal is that you want to learn how to construct empathy from, you know, basically from piecemeal and like make that empathic jump um, so that you can realize when you need to just shut up. Sometimes. And what old ass overworked white teacher during black history month that's uh, has a lot of young black students that he's having a hard time connecting with and wants them to learn if he had the opportunity wouldn't just say you know hey here's a vr headset let's let's look yeah. let's explore this and not be prepared for maybe what would come out of that like this it's oh, such yeah. a it, yeah. it's we're a new age a new time and this economic situation that all teachers are in that don't work for private schools that are taking advantage of the entire system forces them to make choices as ethical beings that maybe they shouldn't we talked before about that you're another parent as an educator but that is so much of an individual responsibility when it comes to identification and understanding different experiences i i know you've spoken to this truth before administration and and teachers spend hours spend years trying to make sure they have people coming in to make sure the representation is right because they understand it's important but if you add a flashy title of oh it's in the oculus rift and it's made by this harvard black guy that knows what he's talking about that we could just use it i could absolutely see educational institutions essentially falling for that by no um malicious intent from the creator either that interview is also from the outline and it's going to be uh, available in the uh podcast thing here you can you can click it uh, the link in that way so we talked about representation fanny i really want to get to before we run out of time here 
essentially how to how do we use this these games? Because man, do I love them, and man, would have been cool if like playing the Barbarossa campaigns in, in Age of Empires could have been used in some way in school to just motivate me to learn more. You know, maybe is how how do we? What's the right answer here? Well, I think the right answer in, in using games is kind of to summarize what we've been saying already is to really use them as a tool and not an end in of themselves. So that means not just using them as something that you can give people passively to play and say, oh, yeah, you now know, uh, you've, you've played this and answered some questions about the civil rights movement. We've now done the civil rights unit. So using games the proper way is not to use them to further the factory model, the kind of like capitalist, you know, number crunching that we are all, uh, you know, forced to do. It's to, it's, it should be used to challenge those things, to waken people up in terms of their curiosity, in terms of the world and the history that they're, you know, basically standing on. Um, and so you have to actually empower and enfranchise teachers and schools materially um, to let them do that. That means like very, very tangibly, you need teachers that have, uh, you know, an actual living that aren't contract to contract. They're not precarious. They need to have the time right? Like paid time to develop stuff around these games and, and ask themselves questions about how do I use this really effectively? And you have to have schools that have funding, not just, you know, so, you know, the poor kids can get iPads and hooray, but so that you can actually have like, you know, social workers, right? You can have uh, provided lunches. You can basically mitigate all the terrible circumstances that surround being poor so that students cannot have to worry about those things and therefore, you know, be in a classroom, uh, more constructively and then have this kind of like craftsman like this this craftsperson this this teacher who's really worked on this stuff guy use a tool use a game to guide them into a new aspect of the human experience a game they might know um, too like they might recognize origins they might know what yeah. this language is to help them access yeah. it like like and i was able deal. to with shelly Exactly. And that is, yeah, that, and your description of playing that game as someone who, you know, doesn't really, it's not interested in poetry, right? Like that is the ideal scenario. And then you can have students who are being, who have, are playing games as a way of being taught how to be constructive, full, you know, human beings and engage with the world in a new kind of critical, aware way. And then, of course, you know, as we know, that's going to lead to a much more enriched society that's not going to allow this kind of bullshit to happen where you have like, you know, what is it like 2000 wealthy people controlling the wealth of the entire planet? <laughs> yeah. Billionaires that control the wealth of the entire world. So ultimately, yeah. we were able to get there here in Dialogue Wheel. And it is, of course, all to do with late capitalism and the hellscape we live in. We got there, folks. So, Ladies and gentlemen. theme here. Yeah, that... it's the ongoing theme. Yeah. If you hear my voice and Zachary Fanny's voice, chances are within 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to say the words late capitalism, hellscape, and, you know, maybe accelerationist if it's a good day. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think it was really that we're on to something here. So if you're listening right now and you've really loved a game that taught you something, do you think that this could actually that game could be used in education? Because there's probably some games that we haven't even considered that could be mm -hmm. used great. And it's kind of up to gamers in a lot of ways, too, to make sure that the knowledge is out there so that people who can make the choices, the Zach Fannies of the world and the administrators up above, that can learn about the games that will teach you well. And then they can implement that and, and kind of work together in a lot of ways. Let's not use this system that beats us down so much to keep us feeling like we're all alone. Let's use these tools that will not teach us to be automaton robots and get 
get more stars, but inspire us to want to spend our time writing poetry or maybe yeah. drawing <laughs> anime or, or things like this. There's so many diverse <laughs> cultures out there. <laughs> Listen, that wasn't even a joke. Like, I feel like the people use these as avenues to maybe learn about uh, what's your favorite Japanese writer? What's his name? Uh, Haruki Murakami. Of course. (laughs) So I just think, yeah, (laughs) there's something there's something here, you know, there's something here that can be used. Final word here with Fanny. Do you think this will actually happen, though? We always talk about the, the worries of. Uh, late capitalism completely destroying every avenue of our society. It's doing that in many ways with education. Will video games be one of the bullets in the guns that finally kills us all? Ooh, that's a yeah, See? very good metaphor. That's I always like it, the murder metaphor. That's something that works. Yeah, <laughs> Will this mozzarella ball be the <laughs> final bullet in that gun? That kills my um yeah uh, it's just such like with everything I, else, think it's such a I think it will i think it will like i'm 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 not an educator yeah. um believe it or not yeah. so <laughs> so yeah it's it is i do i do kind of agree but it's just easy to be cynical like everything right now is at a fork in the road right in terms of like you know we have our reality show uh you know president in the u.s like it's it's kind of like you know in, in, in like brexit and stuff like we are really culturally deciding what direction are we going in here? Are we going to have this kind of right, you know, vision of the world with this like imposed scarcity and and um, just like complete xenophobic evil? Or are going to have something that's more like socialist and community minded and games are, you know, in their own small way are part of that, especially in the classroom. Like, are they going to be used to, you know, push us into the automaton world that uh, we exist in? Or are they going to be used to challenge that? And I think... Honestly, having just done a strike, uh, you know, at, at my school and stuff and like really tackling issues of labor. That I, is I a, that you. is I, a work stoppage, not a strike in destiny, because I know this is. A game yeah, yeah. Not, it so. wasn't a heroic strike. Yeah, it wasn't a heroic just strike. He didn't get any uh, dope epics, unfortunately. I got no legendary gear. No, yeah. no legendary gear. Um, so, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I do think because the results of the strike basically are a bit uh, unclear right now, but it is the system is so big that it's just crushing People like it has its own momentum. That happens in West. That happened in West Virginia this week too. Remember, like all the teachers just went on strike. Yes. within the state, and they got and they did get a five dollar or no, sorry, five dollars. Yeah, was which <laughs> they were just fighting raised. for five yeah. fucking percent. That's why yeah. I don't have any sort of five percent of uh, like twenty five thousand of the state budget that's used to teach people. If your state's not willing to spend money so that teachers have better lives, then why do we yeah. even have government? Like, and that's why yeah. I think that. As much as there's some greatness here and as much as we got something special with these video games, it's going to be another tool to just like beat us down in some way. It kind of already is with the lifestyle games and and the grinding. Yeah. And if we, but unless you have, uh, like you do have a proliferation of indie games, you do have this new generation who's, you know, even like now, like we aren't quite having experiences, but they grew up with like real complex, like. In interesting games yeah. like they're a gamer generation right the internet generation i do think that, like they can have an immense power in determining how these things are used what i'm hoping is that the education system will just grow to match them as opposed mm-hmm. to being like another just checkpoint they have to get through in the the game of life um so i it's still yeah it's still kind of a big question mark but we are the momentum is pushing towards awfulness i think 
I'm going to end it there with the momentum pushing to awfulness of Mandy Burkowski. Zach Fanny this week talking about video games in education. Uh, next week, we'll have the team here. And if you haven't uh, seen this yet, if you're listening on iTunes or not aware, there is a YouTube channel that has a whole bunch of content that is just like this. One of the recent uh, t- attacks was uh, my interpretation of the news that the Xbox head said that finally they're going to get woke and they're going to have, you know, black people on the board and, you know, we're going to tell these great stories. Never mind that Xbox as a brand seems to be one of the most poisonous consoles that represents kind of like date rape and everything that I think it is bad in the video game world. I think of an Xbox bro, but uh, no, 2018, they're going to get woke by having some other rich millionaires on the board that happen to be from like Guatemala or something. It's like like McDonald's like we're a progressive gaming company now. Yeah. Anyway, so that's basically it, but you get to see our pretty faces and uh, yeah, Thank you very much. We'll be there next week. Bye.